Well, good evening. Oh, there we go. Oh, that got your attention. <laughs> good evening, everyone. And welcome to uh, our second night of our special events this week as we're celebrating the opening of this new home for Ocal Church. Tonight, we've got Phil's story uh, that he will be sharing from religion uh, to faith. It's going to be a great evening uh, that we're going to share together. Just a few housekeeping things uh, for you, if uh, just from, for some information. Uh, in the unlikely event of a fire, uh, there's a couple of fire exits that you see with the green arrows. Uh, head towards those. That would be fantastic. Uh, or head out towards the foyer and follow the green arrows there. If you need the toilets at any time, uh, they're just behind me in the corridor just down there. If you need an accessible toilet, then they're just around the right-hand side uh, by uh, the foyer. An idea of the flow of this evening, how this evening is going to work. Well, in our first part this evening, I'm going to invite Phil in a minute to come up. And we're going to hear his story. And then we're going to have an interval for about 20 minutes. And there'll be a chance for you to go and grab a tea and a coffee and some light bites. And there'll also be an opportunity for you to text in some questions for Phil. And on your tables, you'll see that there's a number there that during the interval, if you want to text any questions, you've heard Phil's story, you want to know a bit more, well, you can text to that number. And after, in the second half, well, we'll answer those questions. Uh, Andy is going to sing uh, to us. And now I'm going to close with just a brief uh, message for us as we end our time together. It's going to be a great evening together. Uh, I hope you're all very excited. But um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, Phil Velikov. Give him a warm welcome. Yeah. There you go. You never had one of those, Phil, have you? No, no. <laughs> Normally it's when I finish. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Is That's... that working? Is that okay? Yeah, great. Fantastic. So, uh, Phil, most of us, or some of us, will know you as uh, an elder here. You're on the leadership uh, team and, and your role is pastor teacher, which means that on Sunday mornings you'll be up here, uh, you'll be preaching, and during the week you'll be meeting people and, and involved in lots of different things within church life. But, yeah. but, but what's your journey? How, how did you get here? Well, I, I think the, the irony of being here is that, if, is that I, I, my, my early years up until well, up until I was eight, really, um, I absolutely hated church with a deep and abiding passion. I'm still slightly bitter about it. So if you'd asked me a, a four, five, even an eight-year-old whether you'd like to, to work for a church one day, um, I would have said absolutely not. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of irony of it. Um, I think the, the key to understanding my, my life is, or, or my early life, is, is that my dad was an airline pilot so he started off working for um, British Airways, um, then went to Saudi Arabian Airlines, and then uh, finished 25 years um, in Virgin Atlantic. Um, so, so I was born in this country, uh, much to everybody's consternation, because um, I support Welsh rugby team and, uh, yeah. and lived in South Africa. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but, but you live in England, right? But, uh, but I live in it, yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, you're only as good as your last five nations, oh. by the way. Um, where did England come again last time? Uh, yeah. Never mind. Palestine. Um, so, 
um, yeah, so I was born in this country. My parents were, were faithful churchgoers, um, so they, they went to an evangelical free church, um, and it was, it was quite strict, so um, my upbringing, I, I just remember um, up, until, uh, up until the age of eight, uh, Sunday was all about the Sunday best. I had those, um, those ties with elastic on that, um, that you'd have to wrap around your head, and, and if someone pulled and let go, it would kill you. Um, and it was all about going to church, Sunday school, um, coming back Sunday lunch with lots of guests who were quite a lot older than me. Um, and, and I wasn't allowed to run around. I had to keep my Sunday best very perfectly uh, clean. Um, it was, uh, I, I despised it because the answer to why can't you play football or why can't you do X, Y, and Z was always, well, because it's the Sunday. Um, and you can't argue with that, can you? Um, and, and, and so I, I hated it because it was so strict. Um, and yet I also had quite a, quite a, quite a liking for it because it was, it was about stories. So I could deal with the stories and the sweets uh, that you got for remembering the story. So it was a bit bittersweet, um, I have to admit. Um, and then when I was about, uh, when I was seven, so it was 19, oh, this is it, 1979. There we go, just slip that in. Um, about six, actually. Um, make me younger than I am. Um, my family moved lock, stock, and barrel to Saudi Arabia. Um, so my dad wanted us to have a private education. Um, so he thought a good way of doing that was to get a tax-free income from a rich Saudi nation. Um, so we moved there. Um, again, it was traumatic. And you've got to realize a lot of these things, you know, bear, bear deep scars. Um, we got to, to Saudi Arabia my, our very first night, got to customs. They looked through all our bags. I was six. It was early December. And they took out our, our family Christmas tree, a plastic family fake Christmas tree, and said, that's a Christian icon. You can't have it in our country, and, and, and confiscated it. Can you believe? It was a really shocking moment, a real introduction to life. Well, there you go. Um, your Christmas tree confiscated. Yeah. I, thought Christmas tree, I thought Christmas had been cancelled, actually. Um, but thankfully, it wasn't. Um, and, and so Saudi Arabia, I mean, that, that must you know, be like nothing that you've known before. I mean, what, what was it like living out there? It was, actually at that time, it was quite mad because um, it was a third world country that was massively westernizing overnight. Um, so from dirt tracks to... Um, so that we were based in a, t- a town called Jeddah, which, um, which is, the, thorough, which is the, 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 the nearest airport to Mecca. Um, so at the time, it, went, it was like a, a, an old western town. And then the Arabs suddenly discovered that they've got millions of pounds worth of oil under their feet. And so they pumped it out, got millions of pounds into the country and just redeveloped the whole thing. I remember our back garden uh, being transformed from a wasteland to beautiful, you know, pavement and, 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 and tarmac. And they ripped up the garden and replanted it with a, with a rubber tree. It was just absolutely, but literally in a week it had all been done. And they'd moved on to the next block and the next block. And it was all kind of cheap labor. It was all, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, just what do we do with our money? Well, I don't know. We'll just throw it at something. Um, and it absolutely mad, really mad c- culture. Yeah. 
and, and so obviously you're in Saudi Arabia, you're, you're young, so you, you have to go to school somewhere. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? So I, in, uh, yeah, again, so went to an American-based school because the, 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 Saudi, the Saudi, Saudi Airlines compound that we were, we were living in was about 85% American um, expats. So we went to an American-based school. Um, and, uh, and so I got uh, a couple of years of American education. Um, sang some, some really lovely American songs with my hand over my heart and a tear in my eye. Um, yeah. Yeah. And were there any highlights that you remember? Oh, yes. Yes. Highlights. Um, so just out of the blue, um, one day I remember being told um, that um, Muhammad Ali was on his Hajj um, and he was going to visit the school. Yeah. Um, and and so he, he came to the school, and we were all lined up in outside, I remember, sitting on the floor. And, um, and he came, and my best friend Nick was picked to box against Muhammad Ali. Um, and it was just like, I mean, he was like the man who had punched Muhammad Ali, the guru of gurus, the hard man of hard mans. If you were mates with Nick, you were mates with, with the best man in the world. Um, yeah, so, so just random things like that were happening all the time. Um, uh, Idi Amin was um, w- was in exile in a compound next to us, just again swimming around pools, um, having a good laugh, but having killed millions of people. Yeah. Um, just yeah, literally a mad, mad, mad cult- culture. I see. So you kind of grew up there, and then what yeah. was the kind of the next step? On well, so the- when I was um, uh, just turning nine, so eight, just turning nine, um, I, I went to a boarding school in this country. Um, um, and so my sister was already there, um, and I had, I, I was basically, you know, packed off with my bag on the plane by film, um, to see you at yeah. the end of term, and, um, and, and just go on. that was it, yeah. yeah. So nine, nine years old, you just sent on a plane. Got on a plane, yeah. yeah. Straight over South Africa. That's it, so yeah. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. No, sorry, so to England, sorry, from England. Saudi Arabia. Um, and, and I had two terms in this country. Okay. And my dad at the time was realizing this is, this is exorbitant. The, the cost of private school here was absolutely exorbitant. Um, and, and got wind of a friend uh, who, who sent his son off to South Africa um, and met his son um, and, and liked what he saw in, uh, because also he, he discovered that South Africa um, was, was quite hard-nosed and they caned still. Um, and he liked that. Um, I have no idea why, um, and 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 so went on an expedition and and went to South Africa, um, and I mean amazingly went to a church there on his first Sunday in Johannesburg, and came across the headmaster of the only school in South Africa that was multiracial um, and co-educational, um, and um, and 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 Christian-based as well, and he just said, okay, that's the school for my children, um, and so. <laughs> After two terms in England, um, at the beginning of 1983, yeah. I, was, I was turning, turning 10. Yeah. Um, my dad just said, okay, off you go. Yeah. Um, all three, all three my, got two sisters, all three of us uh, went to a boarding school yeah. uh, in South Africa, completely randomly. <laughs> You've gone from Saudi Arabia yeah. back to England, yes. and then on the plane again. Yes. So, I mean, you must have had plenty of experience on the plane. Yes, I mean, yes, like I did, yeah. Um, it got to the point when, again, it got to the point after a couple of years, we just said, oh, please don't let us go unaccompanied minor, which meant you, you were babysat by a stewardess because it just felt it was really patronizing. Um, and, uh, and, and we just knew what we were doing. Um, 
yeah, even at that, that young age. Did you feel comfortable flying? Yeah, but actually, yeah. yeah so the, the funniest thing is when I, when I finished, uh, uh, when I'd, I'd come back um, as a teenager, about 15, 16, come back from holidays, and um, for some reason I had to get a bus uh, into, into the local town where we were living, and, and I was petrified. I'd never caught a bus in my life. And in the end, I had to get my stepmom to, to literally almost hold my hand and say, this is what you do, this is what you say, this is where you sit, this is what you, the little dinghy button, I never knew they existed, yeah. um, and you only press it at the right, all that I had to go through, what everybody normally does at yeah. the age of five or six, I had to go through um, at, as a 15-year-old, it was quite funny. That's it. But I could find my way around the world quite easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you sort of jet off towards South Africa, and, and what were your, I guess, first impressions of landing in somewhere again so different from England? Well, I remember as a child um, landing, because you, you couldn't go direct from Saudi Arabia to South Africa, you had to go to Nairobi, and I was honestly expecting a, 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 a caravan of elephants to pull up next to the plane, and all the people who have to stop off at Nairobi, you know, get off and onto these elephants and, and, and into the bush. And, and I, was, I was just staggered that there was actually tarmac and there was an airport building and it was, it was Africa and, and developed Africa. And it just, just blew my mind. So when I got to South Africa, my first night in South Africa, I remember queuing up outside the school, um, the school dining room. And, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this little slither of a snake. And I went absolutely berserk. And all my friends went, brilliant. And caught, the th- caught a snake uh, just as we were queuing up for, yeah. for, um, for dinner. And uh, Again, it was just complete culture shock, complete madness. Snake catching was what you did on the weekend <laughs> because there wasn't any TV. Um, that's what, yeah. 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 And, and so, obviously, two different cultures kind of colliding yeah. when you're going there. You know, complete yeah. shock, snake catching. Yes. And then you go to a boarding school yeah. in South Africa. Yeah. What was that like for you? So, I think it's a thing to bear in mind at the time. So, early 80s, mid 80s, um, it was it was the height of apartheid South Africa. So, wherever you went, there were signs: whites only, whites only benches, whites only buses, whites only um, beaches, whites only libraries, etc., etc. Everything was whites only. M- my mum's Malay, um, so and she, quite European looking, but she's still Malay. So. We had this kind of um, just wariness of it all. At what point are they going to work this out? At what point um, does my mum stay in the sun for too long? And she looks too Asian to get away with being European. Um, it, was, it was quite odd. At the same time as well, because, um, because of sanctions beginning to bite, there was a real sense of South Africa versus the world, the Africana versus the universe. And particularly, some of the guys in the school really took umbrage. Uh, some of my school friends and some of the people, some of the uh, even teachers, took real umbrage at, uh, at outsiders. Um, so as an English person, it was at times really difficult um, to, to, to be recognized for school sports, to be recognized for um, um, uh, responsibilities, um, because the argument was, you're English, you're rubbish at the rugby. You're English, you're rubbish at cricket, you're English, etc. Um, and that, that was quite difficult to, to, to manage. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, kind of, 
at that time politically very unstable. Yeah. And did that kind of impact school life for you? Yeah, so um, interestingly, being Christian-based, there was quite an um, a, a anti-apartheid feeling amongst some of the staff um, and, and, and some, of the, some of the pupils. So we, there was a bunch of us who got very politically, you know, even at the age of 16, 17, very politically quite angry at the system. Um, so we'd do, we'd do what we could. We'd, 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 um, we'd teach local children and local adults English um, in our spare time. We would, one, one weekend, we went to a local township. Townships were where uh, um, black people were allowed to live. Uh, we went to local townships to build a, house, a couple of houses for widows. Um, we, uh, um, one night, we, we, we snuck down into the local town, Moy River, and threw bricks into the train windows that were going past because that was our thing. That was our bit against the establishment. It was, yeah, again, it was a, it was a sense of this is politically right to do. Yeah. Um, and and our, our kind of, our gesture um, against apartheid. Um, yeah, again, just very political, very angry as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knew? Like Phil throwing bricks through train windows. Yeah. I, I don't recommend it, by the way. <laughs> Most often, they bounce yeah. and hurt people. Yeah, oh, yeah, and and so you sort of progress. And and how long do you did you stay at, in school in South Africa? So I was there from um, from the age of uh, just turning ten, nine, ten, um, to the age of of seventeen, just at the end of my seventeenth year. Um, so so nearly ten years actually. Ten years. Um, yeah, and um, it was, I mean, it was, um, it was, it was quite funny because in my last year, um, I, I was, I'd, I'd been there long enough to get called up for the army. So we had the, uh, so it was a conscription um, for, for all, all, all white men um, to, to, be, to be called up for the army. Either you went to the army or you went to university and deferred, but after university, you had to go to the army. So we had, um, I remember his name, Commandant Bezaden Hote. Oh, great name. Um, he came and just gave us the lowdown on what, what would happen. You'd, uh, a, a month after you'd finished your exams um, or matriculated, you, um, you'd then be expected to meet at a certain train station. Uh, you'd have an overnight bag, and then you'd just be processed into army recruitment. Um, and uh, so I finished my, my last exam, and then about two days later, I got a plane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't hanging around for no. that. <laughs> no. Uh, and, so, and so I guess we, you sort of, it was such a varied sort of childhood growing up, you know, yeah. and we've seen sort of, um, yeah, what you've been involved with and everything like that. I guess sort of during that time, as you sort of, especially in South Africa, uh, what was happening spiritually as you were growing up uh, what was your relationship with with church with with christian things at that point so yeah as i said as a child i grew up in that christian culture and then um came to a christian school culture um where i was one of the few kids who'd have a, had a christian background um, so gone to Sunday school, learned all the stories. So actually, I suddenly found that I was I was one of the one of the one of the best at at, at um, so there was a national scripture union exam, 
Um, so I knew all the stories, knew all the answers, knew everything. And, and actually, I began to, ironically, really like um, the whole church scene because I was really good at it um, and was getting lots of awards and lots of, um, um, lots of, lots of pats on the back. And um, so through the, through the prep school up until I was, I was 12-ish, actually, that's what, that's, that's what um, shaped my, my Christian worldview, was that I knew the stories. I was really good at it. I could do the Christian thing really, really well. Um, I think, interestingly, when I look back, I think there, there, there are moments where God really spoke to me. Um, so, so I remember when I was 10, really being convicted that I, I wanted to follow God. And then when I was 12, my parents split up, and that destroyed my, 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 my family, well, my base, really. Interestingly, over the next five or six years, the school became far more of a, of a stable environment than home. Um, and, um, but, but in that time when I was 12, I remember reading just a couple of verses in the Bible that really challenged me to follow God and, and seek after him. And, and I, I thought I'd do that by being really good and, and being really moral. So there was a school's Christian association, SCA, as we called it, um, that, you could, you, that, that was made up of uh, students who, who ran that, like a Christian union. Um, that's kind of, that was the kind of the, the, the conduit of, of, of all the political stuff going on as well. Um, but... Um, but there was a, particularly in the, in the college, the, the secondary school side of it, there was a kind of a system in the school, which, so the school hall was a bit like this. Um, and so you can imagine, actually freakily like this. Um, we were talking about it this yeah. afternoon, and I had a little freak out. Um, but it was a bit like this. And, and what you had was, was all the hoi polloi of the school from year seven to, from standard seven to standard nine, um, and, and, and some standard tens. Um, sat on normal normal tables like yourselves, but then on the platform over here was the prefect's table, um, and if you were a prefect or head boy or head girl, that's where you had your meals, uh, and and the lesser persons were, were were not on the prefect's table, and that was that was heaven uh, in secondary school. That represented heaven for everybody, and the way to get to heaven was to 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 be really good. So you'd. You, you'd, you'd join the Students' Christian Association. So out of, uh, out of a school of, of 250 people, about 150 kids went to the, every, every Wednesday night, the Students' Christian Association meetings, and we'd sing songs, and we'd hear people preach, and it, it was, it was, re- but if you got onto the inside track, you could go onto the stu- SCA subcommittee, which was made up of, um, sort of standard eights and nines, who, who, showed potential, and you, your job would be to lay out the, 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 the tables for the meetings and do all the donkey work. Um, and then you could be appointed to the SCA committee. Now, the SCA committee was, was where the prefects were chosen from. If you got to the Students' Christian Association committee, you were almost guaranteed a place in heaven. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it was... It, so, so you worked really hard. You... Your way to your way to, to, to success to heaven was by being very moral and being very good and being very Christian, um, and that and that characterised that that. And interestingly, the message that was preached 
I would say was not far off. But the message that was being lived was very different. It was very, very moral. You could do God by being very moral and getting to that that heaven. Yeah. So it it just sounds like this this mixed message, you know, this Christian school um, preaching forgiveness and yet everything about school life was just, you know, be good enough. Yeah. Um, Lead that moral life and that will lead you to yeah. Prefects table, which we are sat at. We are at we are the now. moment. You've made I, it, Phil. I, I never got. <laughs> I never got there, by the way. Which is, you know, you know, yeah, yeah. That can, that'll come up at next year's review, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Um, so it, it was. It was just a bizarre. But then, what was ironic is, then I came back to this country, um, and having been an Englishman in South Africa, I, I had a South African accent, believe it or not. So I suddenly was a South African in in England. So I went from being rejected for, for being anti-apartheid to being rejected for being pro-apartheid um, because I had a South African accent. Um, so all my friends couldn't, just didn't believe that I could, I could uh, um, call myself a Christian um, because, because I had a South African accent. Um, and and it, was, it was an education for them to find that I, I could pray in a South African accent and still be heard. Um, <laughs> Um, so it was, and it was, but it, it was also quite a, quite a, um, a culture shock as well. So uh, things like toad in the hole, I had no idea what toad in the hole was, um, and all my friends again were just laughing, laughing themselves silly because I, I didn't know these fundamental British things. Um, I didn't understand football either, um, things like that. Yeah. Um, but spiritually, um, so during sixth form and early years of university. Um, I, I started going to really charismatic churches. And, and if you don't know what charismatic churches are, they're churches that, that, that are, are um, the ones that I went to were, were very loud, uh, contemporary music. Everybody had their hands in the air. Uh, a few people would, be, would have been fallen on the floor by the time halfway through the service. Most people were speaking in tongues. It was absolutely mad, um, complete. Uh, but it was all about feeling. So... Um, so you went to church and you had your hit um, and you came away from church and what characterized your relationship with God was how good you felt about God. Um, and, and it was, again, a quite, quite, a, quite an interesting take on, 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 what, on what religion is because th- there are weeks when you just weren't feeling it. You, you had your hands in the air but you're just kind of a bit distracted and you, you just couldn't speak in tongues like like normal and you came out and you just kind of what what have I done wrong God you know where have I let you down you know, am I a Christian am I going to ha- if I died now am I am I saved you know what's what's going to happen and I, I really I really wrestled with that sense of what if I don't feel right with God and, and then that's it my time's up what happens then um, so there was this really kind of weird movement from I can be right with God through morality, that was my school years, to I can be right with God through because I feel right with God. Yeah. Um, and, and I've done the right things yeah. to feel right yeah. with God. Um, it's almost, you know, religion, but in just the reverse yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a different form of religion, yeah. just a different side of religion. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to, to Cardiff University, um, and in my, my second year, um, this... 
again, a, a, a hyper-charismatic kind of movement hit the country. It was, it was all over the head, headlines. It was called the Toronto Blessing. Um, and um, my church took it on big time, um, both in Cardiff and at home. Um, and, um, and it was, uh, again, uh, you know, there, were, there were BBC documentaries about it. It was all over uh, the Christian news. It was, it was a big thing. Um, and uh, lots of different opinions flying about. Um, around it, um, and I, two things happened. So, so one thing is, um, is that in the middle of all this massive hyper, hyper charismatic excess, or not excess, but feeling led Christianity, um, I was just given a, a, a glimpse of the joy of heaven. I, 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 I don't say that lightly. But it blew me away, absolutely blew me away, um, and 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 it, it it forced me to to say, what do I know about God? Um, I I want to know Him, and and I started reading a book a friend gave me um, by a guy called Martin Lloyd Jones, um, and and it taught me about Jesus in a way that I'd never been taught before. And, and it, it said, do you know, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And so if you're a Christian, if you trust in Jesus, then all your morality is not going to make you any better. And your feeling rubbish is not going to make you any worse before God. Because actually, the way God makes us right with him is through the person of Jesus mm. and Jesus alone. It's one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about the person of Jesus is because actually, in that, in those, those just three weeks, blew me away the truth that you could actually be mm. absolutely certain about eternity. Beyond doubt, beyond any, 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 oh, anything. It's possible, not because of the moral things you've done, not because of the way you're feeling, but because of Jesus, if you believe in him, whatever happens to you, eternity is waiting. Mm. And I think because I'd seen that eternity, that joy, that absolute mind-boggling amazingness of the future, Mm. it it was just kind of, it was utterly, three weeks of just complete worldview blown away. Really, really blown away. Because I, I suddenly realized what Christianity is truly all about. Mm. It's about the person of Jesus yeah. and a relationship with him and trusting that he's done all the work that yeah. grants us eternal life. Yeah. Um, just, I've spent three weeks, honestly, uh, I, I'm not proud of it, but I spent three weeks just, just going, Lord, I really don't care about life anymore. Because I know eternal life is absolutely way beyond the best thing that you could possibly ever imagine. And I was just going, look, Lord, any time anytime you want to take me, any time, I'm really up for it. Um, and I, I, to my shame, I spent three <laughs> weeks just not bothering to look crossing roads. Because I was just kind of going, well, hey, if God wants to take me, he's going to take me. <laughs> and if he doesn't, then he won't. So the car will come or it won't. But I'm really, really happy if it does. Yeah. 
And I'm a bit disappointed if it doesn't. And my, my uni friends were actually literally just holding me, right. holding yeah. me a little bit yeah. tight as we came to Rhodes, um, walking, <laughs> walking down to the university. And, uh, but it's just a joy. It, it, was, it wasn't that I, I had a death wish on me. It was just an abs. I knew, and I still know, the absolute certainty of heaven that trusting in Jesus gives me. Um, and, and, and it's gorgeous. Um, it's total forgiveness of what we've done against God. It's not dependent on what I've done. Mm. It's not dependent on how I feel. Yeah. It's dependent upon the person of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. And that, that is security, mm. um, both now and in eternity. Yeah. Um, so that, sorry, yeah. uh, that's, that's kind of the, the, the high point yeah. of, my, yeah. of my Christian experience. Yeah. Um, but what also happened is I, I wanted to go to, I wanted to become a minister from that point. I felt that that was right. I, I talked to my dad, um, and he's a legend, by the way. Um, and, and he said, no, you, you just need a trade behind you, so, so become a teacher. Um, so I did. Um, I went to Aberystwyth University um, to do a PGCE, and then um, ended up um, teaching in a, in a prep school um, in this country, um, which was great fun. Yeah. Uh, really loved it. Um, it was it was all of the, in, uh, so it was nearly 20 years ago now. So it was about the freedom of teaching and uh, and the joy of teaching. Um, mm. uh, so I, I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, but I came to a point. Um, a few things happened. One, the head teacher said uh, I was too evangelical for the for the school because what was happening is the children were asking me common questions like, "So why don't you swear? Um, why don't girlfriends stay in your house?" Um, like all the other staff do. Uh, there were quite personal questions, and, and I was telling them about Jesus, and the head teacher just said, no, the parents are complaining. You've got to stop that. Um, and then I had an epiphany moment uh, as a teacher. I, and again, for teachers out there, this is just personal epiphany moment. Um, I, I was sat there in a, in a classroom. Um, I can't even remember what I was teaching, but I suddenly realized the pupils that I'm teaching... Um, are not being taught at this moment about Jesus. And I wanted to devote my life to teaching about Jesus and, and, and helping young people at that time, helping young people um, know about him. So the head teacher said, you're not really welcome. Um, and I realized I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, I walked into a Christian bookshop literally that week um, and got a youth work magazine off the shelf. Um, and at the back was a school's Christian work trust um, advert, um, which I applied for. It was the only application I filled out. Um, and I, I got a job um, both in teaching, but teaching um, about Jesus, um, which is great. Um, so, um, yeah, so I went to Reading. Um, I'd, um, I, I met Liz at that time, my wife, um, and, um, and we, we got married, obviously, um, and, uh, and settled for, for about we had three years in, in Reading. Um, and then at the end of those three years, uh, what's also really cool as well is, so I'd, I'd wanted to go to Bible college, having realized I wanted to be a, a minister, um, wanted to go to Bible college, um, saved up for Bible college, met Liz, um, spent the Bible college fund on a house um, <laughs> so we could live. My wife's looking very guilty there. Um, <laughs> It was a great house as well. We could have thought, no. <laughs> it was lovely. Um, but but um, during those years, um, the trust also insisted I do um, a, a part-time course 
um, and study um, study a bit on as part time as part of my 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 ongoing development. Mm -hmm. um, so even in taking me down that road through teaching, um, th God was still training me and preparing me um, to, for, for for ministry. And um, when I was um, after three years, I became a youth leader in, in Worcester, hmm. um, and then did uh, about 10, 15 years. I can't. 15, 12 years, 12 years of, um, of, of a youth ministry um, in, 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 in different churches, two different churches. So all the way up to that point, you know, from, from where we've, we've seen already this evening, you know, growing up and having, you know, a, a real religious kind of moral um, understanding of Christianity, uh, you know, maybe to start hating church because uh, you couldn't play football because it was the Sunday or, you know, going through South Africa and, and realize that the only way to, to progress is, is to be moral, to to uh, to be good. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, going to Cardiff University, experiencing sort of the more charismatic side and and all about feeling and, and relating that way to God, but, but finding Jesus, uh, finding who he is and how that just throws those things out the window mm. uh, because of his love for us and, and that just sent you right on this um, sort of passionate drive to uh, become uh, a minister uh, and through lots of different avenues and, and then after 15 years of youth youth team at, was it Harpenden? Um, no, so yes, yeah, so um, it was five years in um Five years in Worcester and then five years in Harpen in, in Danbury, um, near 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 yeah. Chelmsford, yeah. Um, and then at the end of those those second five years, um, um, I had the opportunity to do assistant and sort of youthy thing at the same time, youth and children at the same time in in Harpen and, um, and but the the big thing was I was given the responsibility of the evening service um, because the question was could I preach um, and um, and it was it was just the the privilege of being able to shape an evening congregation. So the senior minister took the morning con congregation, and he preached 90% of the time in the morning, um, and then I had about two thirds of the time in the evening. Um, and it was a dying congregation, um, and so it was kind of do whatever you like. You can't make it any worse. Um, thanks. <laughs> um, um, and so it was, it was a real blessing, actually. I, I learned a lot about preaching, um, and, um, and God was really gracious to teach me um, how, to, how to, sh um, to, to share the Bible with adults and how to preach the Bible um, uh, for adults as well. Um, and, um, yeah, I was going to say something. I can't remember. But, but it was, it was a, a, a blessing of a time, actually, just those three years in Harpenden, um, to, see, to, to see the Lord confirming that, um, that, that path. Yeah. And then I saw the advert here. And then you saw the advert here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. downhill ever since. <laughs> no, it's been lovely. Yeah. It's been really lovely. And so, obviously, you know, your role here and starting here is three, three and a half years? Yes, yeah, coming up to four yeah. years in June. Four years, there we go. That's, that's gone quick. Flown by. It? Yeah. yeah, and I think I think what I loved is, um, um, interestingly, about four years ago, almost to the date we we came, Liz and I came over, and we had a afternoon tea. Um, and, and what I loved is, 
to be able to talk to a church about Jesus and to hear that church going, yes, yeah, that's what I love as well. Um, and at the time, I was applying to a number of churches, and there was one church that I liked the look of because it was big, um, and, and it, it was kind of massaging my ego that we were going, we were, we were talking with them. Um, and th- there was a sense in which we were beginning to see differences, opinions emerging. And, and I, I suddenly realized I'd rather serve here, where there's a, a congregation that says, oh, Jesus is where it's at, and we want to tell people about Jesus, rather than spend 10 years explaining that Jesus is where it is at, and then seeing that uh, this church, the, the church here, um, I just felt resonated with more of, of my experience. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's lovely because I can be as passionate as I want about the person of Jesus here. And there's a, a hearty, yes, that's exactly where we are as a church. And, um, and, and it's wonderful to be, have the freedom and not people saying, well, I'm not sure about that, really. I'm not sure about this Jesus person. I'd rather have the Babington Club. Um, uh, and literally, I've had a church where I had to fight tooth and nail to, with the Badminton Club um, to run a, a, a Christianity Explore course for youth. Um, and, and that's not this church. Um, this is the church that would, that would gladly give up badminton to run a Christianity Explore course for young people, mm-hmm. gladly give up um, X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, so that people can hear about Jesus. And I'm truly convinced that's because we've met him. It's not a moral thing, neither is it a feeling thing. It's because we know him and we love him and that is something that is utterly, 100%edly what we want other people to know for themselves in the same way because it's possible for everybody who comes and meets Jesus. And that's, it's a privilege. Mm. It's a privilege to be in a church like this. Um, I wake up every morning, I think that. Privileged, beyond all privilege, to be part of a church that knows and loves Jesus like that. Mm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Phil. And I think it gives us a wonderful glimpse into why you're so passionate about uh, proclaiming Jesus uh, because of your story and just how Jesus uh, brought such freedom to you from religion and all of that uh, and bringing such joy and that assurance of eternity to come. And it's been fantastic to to see. So so thank you so much. I think we should show our appreciation to Phil whilst we are. I know <laughs> well, that concludes the first half of, of our event here this evening. We're going to take a, an interval and teas and coffees and, uh, and light bites, I think, are going to be served. Uh, the hatch is going to open and and, and tea's will, oh, tea's just over in the trolley there. Wonderful. There we go. And just to mention, as you're, as you're sort of having a tea or a coffee, we've got a wonderful bookstall just over, uh, to your right hand side. And, and just two books to suggest to you this evening. Uh, one is City Lives uh, by Marcus Nodder 
And Mark's a great guy, and he's written this book full of stories similar to Phil, people who have encountered this Jesus, and to see the way that he has transformed their lives. So pick that up, that's three pounds, an absolute bargain. And the other one is to say, uh, is Roger Carswell's Before You Say, I Don't Believe. It's a wonderful book. Roger's been, uh, he did our Real Lives Week, you might have remembered a couple of years ago, he came down and he's written this book. Uh, answering all of these questions and asking uh, maybe some s- skeptics uh, some questions for them to think about as we go through this book. This is a yellow tosser, which means it's two pounds. That is amazing, isn't it? Two pounds for this much book and three pounds for this much book. It's only, uh, only available uh, at this bookstore over there. Um, so do go and check that out. And also do text in um, your questions, uh, any more questions for Phil, and we'll put that, those to him uh, after our interval. So why don't we just take this opportunity just to, to go and stretch our legs, have a tea and a coffee, and we'll resume in about 20 minutes' time. Uh, Phil, and, and the first question, Phil, is um, do you and Liz have any children, and are they nice? Um, you can give... <laughs> The second part of it is, given your experience in South Africa, what would you say the Bible says about people with different skin color? Great. Uh, um, so I've got three boys. Um, that probably is enough for you to be able to make up your yeah. own opinion about whether they're nice. Um, they're lovely. Um, so I think what's interesting, again, at the time, is that... The, the state church of South Africa um, was justifying apartheid along biblical lines, which was, again, outrageous um, and has totally renounced that. Interestingly, one of, the, one of the most amazing things about South Africa is that when they went from the transition of apartheid to a free country, um, Bishop Tutu introduced a truth and reconciliation um, uh, uh, committee and it meant that you could go to this committee without fear of of reprisal and confess your sin to those against whom you had sinned and seek reconciliation as one of the most powerful national movements I've, I've ever heard of because what you've got is it is murderers and, um, and abusers and, and people who had committed the most horrible crimes, both black and white, able to stand up and publicly confess their sin and repent of it. Absolutely incredible. It was televised as well. So people could see the atrocities that had been committed, the confession of those, and, uh, and the repentance of those who confessed. And the reconciliation, people breaking down in tears and hugging the person against whom they'd, they'd committed crimes and hugging the person who had committed crimes against them. Uh, rapists and murderers and, and all kinds of, even petty thieves, all kinds of people who had committed. And that's a, that's a powerful witness of what the Christian gospel can do. Um, but you also found the, 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 the official line of, of South Africa changing and uh, officially repenting of that non-Christian doctrine that supported apartheid. Um, and I think the best verse that 
um, that, that tells us um, of, of the Bible's opinion of, of, on race is John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, um, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, there's no distinction. It's not for God so loved the white man or the black man or, 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 um, or, or the Indian. It's simply God so loved the world. Mm. Uh, it means that the gospel, the Christian message about Jesus is a universal message. It's what, what's also lovely is it's not restricted to culture. Um, so so a, a, you can have a, a Christian in an Indian culture I've been to a church in Nepal where men still sit on the, on the left-hand side and women and children sit on the right-hand side. That's the culture that says that's the norm in a public meeting place. They're still Christians. Um, and the faith transcends culture. Um, and and that's, a, that's a great verse that kind of mm. demonstrates that. Sorry, that's, that's quite a long... No, that's brilliant. Yeah. And no question, I guess we've seen this evening how uh, you're always kind of connected to Christian things, sort of growing up and, and going into university. Yeah. Um, but was there a time in your faith um, that you felt like giving up or, or, or you gave up um, in your faith? Or times of, you know, where you struggled? Uh, I guess it's where that question's going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think the Christian walk is one of, 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 of struggle and, and one of the reasons is we, we always want to do God our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're forever fighting our, we're forever fighting our, our, our own inclination to put God in a box mm-hmm. um, or to say to God, well, I'll, 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 you know, I'll ignore that sin um, and, 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 and carry on doing that, but I'll, I'll be quite um, quite religious about uh, shunning those sins and with, with the, the Christian battle is one big um, one big battle against yourself uh, because the, the natural programming of our hearts is want to, wanting to be God in God's place um, and like I try to do it by being very good I try to control God by being very good as a moral person I tried to control God by doing enough to make me feel better as a, a feeling person. Um, so there's, there's a sense in which that's the natural incl- inclination of our hearts to, is to control God. And, and actually, Jesus challenges us time and time again just to come to him and seek a renewed relationship with him and to follow him wholeheartedly, particularly in those times when we're not. Um, and, and that's... Um, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that he's always welcoming us. He's always saying, come, have life, have real life, um, and, and, and have forgiveness from God. That's, that's, the, that's the relationship that we're, we're, we're encouraged to have in the Bible. Mm. Oh, brilliant. There's other texts come in, and um, we've got a few texts, and the first question is a very good question, I think. Says, uh, do you think Wales can win another Six Nations game without the opponents making loads of mistakes? <laughs> yeah, so I think it's a brilliant question. I think. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that. For You'll leave that one. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> but the second question, I think this is this is better. Is is do you think the, that Christians today are still in danger 
of being religious. Oh yeah, I think, I think for, I think it's a constant battle. So uh, we, we've recently looked at the um, the parable of of the lost sons in in the Gospel of Luke. Um, basically, Jesus tells this story about a guy having two sons, one who rejects the father by being really bad and goes and squanders uh, his inheritance, and the other. Who, who's really good and stays in the family farm and does his best. And the challenge is that actually, yes, one does, one rejects the father by being very bad, but the other tries to control the father by being very good. And actually Jesus ends the parable by saying, by, by the father addressing that son and saying, look, this son has come to the end of himself and has realized that he can't live life without the father. And so he's come back into the Father. What are you going to do? And it's a message to the religious people. It's a message to people who claim to to know God and do God, but they're doing God their own way. They're doing God by being very good or, or by being very moral or by being very busy. And the reality is the invitation is always just look at yourself. Just look at how either you try and control God or, 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 or treat God like a, a genie in a lamp. You know, I'll, I'm going through a tough time. I'll rub the lamp. God can sort things out. Um, and, and I'll do my best. I'll really do good. I'll really do a lot better this time. But only if God can um, magically sort out the mortgage arrears or magically sort out the difficult relationship I'm having with my in-laws. That kind of, that kind of Christianity is... Is a moral, is, is a, moral um, a moral take on the relationship that Jesus invites us to. And I think that picture of the two sons and the father, one son come, has come to his, his senses and wants to come back to the father. The other son, still trying to control the father, getting annoyed at this relationship when, uh, when he's kind of quite proud of his own kind of control and doing good things and being good and and actually rejecting a relationship with the Father all along. That's how Christians can be, um, be really moral still. Mm-hmm. So they, you find them going to church, doing all the churchy things, being really good. But ultimately, God is still at a distance because it's all about justifying me. Absolutely. Well, one final question before Andy comes and sings. You were speaking about... Um, how you just had a, such a, an assurance of eternity to come, of, of heaven. And this question says, uh, how can you be sh- so sure uh, of eternity to come? Because I look at the person of Jesus. And you just read his biography. He, he, he is outrageous in his claims. Absolutely outrageous. He turns around to people and they're bowing, they're bowing on their knees in worship of him and he's not going, oh, you know, just don't, don't do that because I'm not God. He's accepting their worship. Outrageous claim. He is claiming to be God at that point. I look at the person of Jesus and his outrageous claims. I look at the person of Jesus and his outrageous actions. Oh, oh yes, he healed the sick. He he. He walked on water. Yeah, the, uh, miracles. 
but he died on a Roman cross, naked and abandoned and taking the punishment of God at my sin. And when you look at that and realize the absolute work that he has done there, and the offer is if you trust in him, like John 3.16 said, that whoever believes in him will not perish, in other words, will not go to hell, but have eternal life. Here's the logical question. If he is that outrageously amazing, and God, and promising that much of an amazing security, either he's an absolute nut job, or he's absolutely saying, I can guarantee your eternal life. There's no in-betweeny. So if we see Jesus, know what he's done, and say, he has done that for me personally. He's taken my personal sin. He's taken my personal, the, the way I, I insult my boys all the time. Yeah, sometimes in anger. He's forgiven me for that. He's taken God's punishment that I deserve for that on the cross. That's what he did on the cross. That's his actions in history. His promise is if we trust in him, we will have eternal life. The question is, do we? Mm. And if we do, we will. Mm. Because it's, he's that much of God. Mm. So that's how, that's how I can be. It's, it's slightly a logical thing. But it is logical. Um, and and it, it, it defies logic to break it. Mm. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Phil. And I'm sure Phil would be delighted to, for you to come up to him and, and ask more questions about what we've heard this evening but I'm going to invite Andy now who's just going to come and sing thanks Dan thanks Phil <clears throat> this, uh, this song it's a, it's a longing for forgiveness it's a longing to be found it's a longing um, to experience that embrace of a, of a loving heavenly father Is there a place? Is there a place where I could be forgiven? Is there a place where I could be free? Is there a place of no condemnation? Is there a place? For someone like me Is there a way My wrong could be passed over Is there a way To lose it in the deepest sea Is there a way That I could touch heaven is there a way that heaven could come to me? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am. I am the way. 
I am the truth. I am the life. I am. I hear your voice, and it whispers, whispers to me. I hear your voice, and it echoes in my soul. I hear the voice of loving liberation. I hear the voice of the one who waits to make me whole. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am. I hear your voice, and it whispers, whispers to me. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, a tropical island, a blue sky, bright sunshine. A surfer just finishes a session surfing on the crystal clear blue waters. He walks into the bar, picks up an ice cold Corona beer, and sits on the soft golden sand with all of his friends. All around the campfire in the middle, the camera pans out to leave you with three words: "This is living." Now I know the whole point of the advert is to make you want to buy a Corona beer. However, it communicates a message, doesn't it, which says that to be truly living, to find life's purpose and meaning. It's to be, I guess, on a beautiful island, drinking ice cold beer. Now, I do like a Corona, but to claim that that's our life's purpose—to drink it—well, surely it's madness. And I wonder this evening, what would you say the meaning of life would be? That's a big question to ask on a Wednesday night, isn't it? Maybe we think it's to be as successful as we can be. Maybe we think it's to be as happy and satisfied as we can be, or maybe we believe that this world, this world's completely random, and so to suggest that life should have meaning, well, that would just be senseless. But you know, just for this short time that we have together, I want to suggest that life does have meaning. That we as humans do have a purpose for our existence and living. And you know the Bible gives us an answer to this very question, and it's found in a book of the Bible called Acts. This book of Acts it was written by a doctor called Luke, who wanted to the person he was writing to to know the complete certainty of the Christian things that he was taught about. And Luke, this doctor, he carefully investigates everything through many eyewitnesses. It says. Do you know, as we go through Acts, we see that it follows a story of a man named Paul, and Paul, in fact, has his own very interesting story. 
If Paul was around for one of our opening week events, I think from religion to faith would sum up his life very well. You see, this man, Paul, was known for his religiosity. He was known for being a man of religion. So much so that Paul was known for arresting and even killing Christians. We might have heard this evening the expression, a Damascus Road experience. And well, do you know, this comes from this story of Paul, who on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute yet more Christians, encountered and found faith in the risen Jesus and went from killing Christians to being one instead. One of the most dramatic conversions in all of history. And this man, Paul, later would go from city to city that would be in modern day Turkey and Greece, talking to people about his journey from religion to faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus. And it's recorded for us in this book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul, he's come to Athens in Greece. And he walks into this place called the Areopagus, which was the central place back then for people discussing ideas about religion and and beliefs about God. And well, Paul, he begins to give a speech to these people gathered around. And it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to read a part of Paul's speech to the Areopagus. It says, Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Paul says to these people gathered around, there is a God who has made everything in this world that we see. And Paul says this isn't a God that is dependent upon us or or anyone else. This is a God that gives mankind life, breath, and everything. And so right at the start, I think we have the first part of the answer to what is the meaning of life. You see, for life to have meaning, well, surely there must be a reason for its existence. And the reason there is life, Paul says is there is a God who has made everything and has given us all here this evening every breath that we are taking. Life isn't random. We are not cosmic accidents. But rather, we have each been given life by a creator God. And Paul goes on to say later on that the whole purpose of God bringing this creation into existence, well, it's found in verse 27 where he says, That they, that's us, people made by this God, should seek God and perhaps feel their way to him and find him. 
the meaning of life, according to the Bible, is that we should seek and find God. To find and to know the one that has made us. Do you know, two years ago at a half marathon in Florida, a man named Bill Amorot went into the last corner and suffered a cardiac arrest just about as he's going to cross the finish line. Lying on the floor, about to die, a nurse who worked in a cardiovascular unit happened to be running by at the same time and stopped to give immediate CPR treatment. Bill was airlifted to the local hospital and survived due to the early CPR he received. So grateful for this act uh, of this person that he didn't know, Bill set out to find out who saved his life. And eventually after he put out this request on Facebook and it was shared 27,000 times, he met Amy Smythe, the nurse that saved his life, to thank her for what she did. And you know, I think in some ways this illustrates what the Bible says about our purpose in seeking and finding the God who has given us life. I mean, could you imagine Bill, after what Amy did, shrugging his shoulders and not giving the slightest concern about the person responsible for saving his life? Do you know, the Bible says that God is responsible for our existence and life that we see all around us and that we should, in the same way, seek to connect with that God. But you know, this evening you might be saying, well, that's great, Dan, but God isn't on Facebook that I can find him as easy as that. How can anyone find him? I can't see him. That's a good question. And you know, that leads us to the final part of Paul's sentence that we're looking at this morning where he says, he says, he says, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. Paul says, If you're going to seek God, he's not far from you. And you know, the beauty of the Christian message is that God has actually come near to us. He has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he's born, he's given the name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus is God in human flesh. This is the great Christian claim, a claim that we've heard Phil explain this evening. So this evening, if you want to find God, seek God, as it says our purpose in life is, then we are to come and to seek out Jesus. It's the same message that Phil has shared with us tonight. Seek the person of Jesus. And you know, on your, on your tables, there are some flyers which invite you to an event that we run here at Oakwood Church called Christianity Explored. Six weeks of seeking and finding out about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. It's an amazing journey where you can discover that for yourself. Six Monday evenings to ask the questions that you've always wanted to ask. Questions that you think are hard and you want answers to. Six Monday evenings to see who this Jesus is who has transformed my life who's transformed Phil's life, as we've heard so wonderfully this evening, this Jesus who transformed Paul's life from killing Christians to being one instead. 
This Jesus that has changed and transformed the lives of millions around the world. See who he really is. Or maybe take home a copy. There's some on the desk as you, as you walk out. A copy of Luke's gospel that Dr. Luke wrote himself about this person, Jesus. Take one free of charge and read for yourself about this person, Jesus. So what is the Bible's answer to the meaning of life? Well, it's to seek and find the God who has given life to everything, who has given us every breath that we take. And I, I just want to leave you with a quote from famous French mathematician and physicist Blaise Pascal, who I believe sums up so wonderfully everything that we've heard this evening. He says this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. That's what he says. Cannot be filled with our own efforts, cannot be filled with our own feelings, but rather only God made known through Jesus. Andy's going to come and sing one more song for us and as Andy's singing, maybe we want to reflect on, on that quote about this person, Jesus, that we have been hearing about this evening. This Jesus that continues to this day to be transforming people's lives. And Andy's going to close our time together. It's been a profound evening, isn't it? Big things to uh, be thinking about together. This song, it speaks of, of a lavish love, a generous love poured out. It speaks of the love of the Heavenly Father whose arms are held open. The love of the one who comes to die in our place. The person, Jesus, who dies to draw us into that embrace. Lavish love that drives out fear. Lavish love embracing near. Lavish. Lavish love, adopting love that calls you child, adopting love pure undefiled, lavish, lavish love, cause his love endures forever, and his faithfulness Stands for all time. Forever love untamed by years. From out of this world love the life appears. Lavish. Lavish love. Forgiving love dies. On a cross, forgiving love, my gain. His loss, his loss. Cause his love endures forever. And his faithfulness stands for all time. Yeah, his love endures 
lives forever. And his faithfulness stands for all time. Life birthing love to last breath. God revealing love conquers death. Conquers death. Cause his love endures forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Yeah, his love endures forever And his faithfulness stands for all time Lavish Lavish love Lavish love Lavish love Lavish love Thank you, Andy. And that concludes uh, this evening's time together. I hope you've, you've enjoyed yourself. And please come and uh, speak to any of us, myself or Phil, if you'd like to know more about the Christianity Explore course, more about what we've heard this evening. Uh, but our week continues, and we've still got plenty more evenings of exciting events to come. So we've got tomorrow evening, jazz evening with Andrew McKenna. It's going to be fantastic. And then events again on Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday to finish it off back here Sunday morning for Justin Reese Larkham. So I hope you can join us for more of those events. God bless you as you go home. And do feel free to keep on having tea and coffee and chatting together.